I just remember the day so clearly. It was June. We got told that she had terminal cancer and I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, you know, the doctors will fix you. That's what the, the mentality that I had. I was like, the doctors will fix you. And she was like, mate, it's, it's not. I've been given like a couple of months and I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And by November, she was literally gone. It was just, it was the most bizarre, foggy year of my existence. Hello and welcome to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with the glorious Alira Potter. If you head to Alira's Instagram profile, you'll see she describes herself as a badass spiritual and mindset coach, a woman who has curated an incredible career by being herself and embracing what the universe throws at her. Despite having numerous hurdles in her path since her mother's death when she was a teenager, Alira has flourished and thrived. She is a body positive warrior who also helps her audience practice self-love every single day, and we felt like we were sitting down with a literal ray of human sunshine when we did this chat. Here's Alira. Alira Potter, welcome to Shameless In Conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's the dream. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we were just actually discussing before we started recording, Alira, this was something we all manifested. We have wanted you on Shameless for quite some time and we found out you had the same plan in mind. Yeah, the exact same plan. So the bestie and I wrote it down on a piece of paper as a joke. And when I got the email, I literally rang her and I was like, guess what? And she was like, mm, Shameless. And I was like, yeah, mate, <laughs> it's go time. So yeah, we did manifest it, which is good. Alira, we are starting every interview with asking people what they are reading, watching or listening to at the moment that they'd recommend to other people in their lives all the people listening to the show, do you have a recommendation for us? Yeah. What am I reading at the moment? I've gone back to like the self-developing books. I'm reading Emma Isaac's Business Chicks at the moment and I'm like, this is good. This is good. I watch, I literally binge watch over the weekend. I think it's on Amazon Prime, that little fires everywhere. It's oh so good. God. I saw you talk about it on your Instagram story and I was like, I back this, I back this yeah. to the hill. Yeah, because I, my girlfriend recommended it to me and I was like, nah, I don't really like, I don't, I don't reckon I'll get into it. And I was just like hooked from the first episode. Yeah, that's what I'm sort of reading and watching at the moment that I would 100% recommend. They sound like wonderful recommendations. Mm, yeah, yeah. The other thing we always ask people, Alira, is what were you like as a kid? What was little Alira like? Oh, my God. If my family heard this, they'll be like, she was a sassy little S word. I don't know if I can swear. Um, you can swear. I was just like literally who I am right now is who I was as a kid. I was just really amplified as a kid. I was just really sassy. I didn't give a shit. I really just walked to the beat of my own drum and I honestly just didn't give a shit about anybody. I was like a terror, an absolute terror. But I think, yeah, I think that's like shaped me to be who I am today because I don't think I'd be as independent now if I didn't have that freedom as a kid to just be a shit. (laughs) Were you creative? Were you sporty? What kind of hobbies did you have growing up? Definitely creative, really into like the arts, so drama, music, all the creative stuff, anything that gave me some form of expression I was doing it. Anything that had a stage, I was like, I'll be up there. If there was a microphone, I'm like, hand it over, let's go. 
So, yeah, anything bloody creative, I was so there. You once told Vogue you have carried an intuitive little gift from a young age. Can you tell us about that? Like if you look back to your younger years, how did you see that or feel that manifest? Yeah, so I know a lot of people are so on the fence about the spiritual woo-woo stuff, but I guess as a kid you just sort of pick up on things and really sort of feel people's energies as such. And I guess for me... I really tapped into that as a kid where I was sort of, I guess, mm, like hearing certain things, maybe even seeing like spirits and things like that. And from then on, I just sort of, I opened it up, but then I shut it down as a teenager. Because as you do when you're a teenager, you're like, that's a crock of shit. I'm not doing that. Yeah. As a kid, I was just really open. Everyone's an intuitive. Don't, don't get me wrong. Everyone is an intuitive. Everyone can tap in. But I think kids are really sort of gifted in that sense when they're growing up. They're just so open. I'm really interested because I think I, like when it comes to spirituality, and I know you said from the start, like, you know, some people think it's a crock of shit and this, this spirituality woo-woo stuff. But I also think that it's something that a lot of people our age are starting to find now. But you had it when you were that age. Were your family quite spiritual? Was it around you? Was there religion around There was no religion in the fam whatsoever. Mum was always really spiritual. She was like that typical sort of person that you would see that was like, oh, my God, there's the witch or whatever. But she was really tapped in and really in tune with herself that I looked at her to be like, oh, yeah, you know, it is what it is. But then, you know, as I grew up as a teenager, I was like, nah, I'm never getting into that. Like, that's a crock of shit. And she always said to me, you will come back to that one day. And sure enough, I've come back to it, but always had mum sort of as the driver to really tap into it, which I think is really beautiful. And for her to know that I'd come back to it, I mean, that speaks volumes, doesn't it? Mm. Let's talk about your mum. In 2008, when you were 17, you found out that your mum was battling terminal cancer. She had stage four melanoma. Can you talk to us about that time? Because you've done a few interviews where you've spoken about this experience. And one thing that really stood out to me personally was, I don't know if it was like a minimization thing that you were going through or maybe denial, but you really did struggle in the early days, in the early months of that diagnosis, didn't you? Mm, Like really, really struggled. It's almost like, I think I just sort of blocked it out. Like I knew it was happening, but I was like, it's not really happening. So it's just, you just put a little guard up. And you just, I don't know, it was so weird because, yeah, 2008, I just remember the day so clearly. It was like June, we got told that she had terminal cancer and I was like, yeah, whatever, like, you know, the doctors will fix you. That's what the the mentality that I had. I was like, the doctors will fix you. And she was like, mate, it's like, it's not. I've been given like a couple of months and I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And by November, she was literally gone. It was just, it was the most bizarre foggy year of my existence and I did block it out for a little while because I was like no this can't be happening like no one should lose their mum at any age or before do you know what I mean like before those beautiful significant things that you want your parents there for so I did block it out and I guess I'm just sort of really in this position now to always constantly talk about it because I just think there's always young people going through that, you know, loss of a parent and no one really talks about grief as such and they never talk about the shit that you go through during that time as well. So, yeah, 100% blocked it out for a really long time. Did your family members say to you, hey, Alira, we think you might be in denial, we think you're probably suppressing 
grief right now. What were the people around you saying if that was your mentality that no, everything will be fine, this is going to be fine, mum's going to fight this, the doctors will sort it out? Yeah, I think family have always been supportive, have always been really good. I don't think anyone sort of really intervened, so to speak, until maybe a couple of years later when I did hit rock bottom with my mental health that I was just, you know, suicidal. I just didn't want to be here. I just thought, what's the point? So it did take a little while. I think I was the sort of person I'm really good at putting up a happy front and being like, it is what it is. But internally, I was like suffering extremely. So I never not had support. Support was always there. Family were always great, but it probably wasn't until a couple of years later that were like, shit, she's like in a really, really bad place. I want to get to that kind of journey you went on experiencing grief in the years after you lost your mum, but I guess I'm mostly intrigued about how you handle knowing that your mum's going to pass. Like, do you prepare anything for it? Like, do your family prepare together? Do you talk about it much? Or were you kind of in denial up until that kind of final day? Yeah, look, it's so weird because I just remember the planning. I remember like the talking. I remember the conversations. I guess when you do know that someone in your family is going to pass, you have to prepare. You have to prepare the funerals. You have to think about that post stuff as well too, like what's going to happen with me and my sister, blah, blah, blah. Like there was lots and lots of planning and lots of conversation, but it almost just felt so surreal that I just didn't really process anything whatsoever. And looking back, I'm just like, how the fuck did I like function that year? How did I function and get through VCE with like really good scores as well too? Like how the fuck did I do that? Yeah, it was tricky, but the conversations were there and the planning was there. It's just that front was up really, really good. I just had to go into that, you know, fight mode of just, just do it and then worry about whatever you're internalizing a couple of years down the track later. I feel like the messiest time in my life was probably between the age of 18 and 20 to have that really messy, confusing, bewildering stage of your life compounded by the loss of your mum would have made that a really fucking hard few years. What are your memories of that time when you're on the cusp of your 20s? It was so surreal looking back. I had met my now lol ex-husband at that time. Him and I were together when mum and I met and then he was a really good support during that time and I feel like I just sort of got on with it. I literally went straight into uni the year after, thought that's probably what I needed to do was to just keep on doing, you know, the things that I had planned probably the worst thing that I could have done, but I did it anyway. And yeah, it it was just honestly like a blur of like a fog, an absolute fog. You just had to sort of like keep on going. I think people who have been through grief, they'll understand what I'm saying when it's just like the fog after you lose that someone special. It's just like you're in this brain fog for ages. You've written in a recent blog post and you just mentioned it before that it wasn't until a few years after your mum's death that your mental health really declined and started to deteriorate to the point of suicide. And you also have said that you didn't really experience proper grief until maybe two years after she'd gone. Can you talk to us about what that looked like and what that time was like? Yeah. So because I had suppressed so much emotions, I just kept it really well packed. It probably wasn't until a couple of years later when I was just like 
things were starting to trigger me, like the big things in my life were starting to happen. And I was like, why the fuck isn't mum here? Like what's happening? And then everything started to just come to the surface. And that's when I was like, okay, you're going to have to like go on medication. You're going to have to see a psychologist. You're going to have to just do all the things that you were supposed to do when she passed away. Um, And I have no shame around saying that to people. I always say to people, there's nothing wrong with being medicated if you feel like you need to. There's nothing wrong with seeing a psychologist or anything like that. But I, I did have to do all those really important things to just stay here, to just be as present as possible in what was happening. But yeah, the emotions really just came to the surface. And I'm pretty sure they will still be coming to the surface as the years go on. It's just like, just the triggers in life and you're just like oh my god like why is that trauma coming up right now why is this happening so yeah it was pretty tough a few years later I mean a huge theme of this episode will be your connection with spirituality and how you are so intuitive I wonder if this is an unusual question but in those really dark times after your mum passed did you ever feel like you could sense her or that she had a presence around you No, it's so funny. I think because I was so shut off, I I was intuitive, but I wasn't as intuitive as what I am now because back then I was like, nah, like everything was just, just that fog still. And I was just shutting off absolutely everything in my world. So I could never really feel her or get any, I guess, messages or anything like that. I probably never will because they say that sometimes your loved ones will never sort of come to you. They'll go to someone else to pass on messages. But I think now I can sort of feel her. But, I mean, I'm really lucky because where I live, her ashes are just like literally 30 minutes down the road at my favourite beach. So I'm always going to go to that spot and feel her in that sense. But, yeah, during that really low point, I, you know, that numb feeling, of that's the only thing that I could really feel. What have you learned most from her? Oh my gosh, I have learned so much. I honestly wouldn't be the person I am today if she didn't say to me, you know, love everybody for who they are, no matter their race, religion, whatever they look like. You always give people the time of day. She just, like, she brought me up with just such this carefree attitude with life that I've just grown up to be like, yep, cool, whatever, like, why do I need to stress about that? Just go with the flow and whatever happens, happens. So I had a pretty privileged childhood with her because I just got to do so much as a kid. She's, I think the biggest thing was just like, you know, life's too short as well too. You you need to just go for absolutely anything in life. And if you fuck up, you fuck up. It's not the end of the world. It's a learning curve, which I think is really important to tell your kids. Talk to us about the Alira who was in her early 20s because you as you touched on earlier you had met a man who was also kind of helping you with grieving your mum you ended up getting married to him can you describe the Alira in that stage of her life yeah it's so funny the Alira in that stage was pretty closed off pretty kept to herself didn't really have a lot of friends didn't really socialize was somewhat introverted to some degree but was extroverted in some aspects but was very much just literally in my eyes when I look back just like a stay-at-home sort of wife and that sounds so weird but I was just so in this little box and I just stayed there sort of thing and that was it but yeah, I think I live with no regrets or I never would say that was a regret whatsoever, but 
there was lots of learnings during that marriage and lots of learnings through that journey as well too. When people say, when I tell people, oh my God, I was married at 21, they're like, what the fuck? And I'm like, yeah, I know, right? Like, what the fuck? What the fuck? But that's what you do when you're in love. Like, you're just in your little bubble and whatever you want to do with that partner, that feels right for you guys and it just doesn't matter. But, yeah, definitely lots of learnings back then. How daunting was it then having gotten married at 21 and then deciding still in your 20s to end the marriage? Like a lot of people aren't married before 30, let alone having ended a marriage. What was that process like? It was a really interesting process and I love sharing this story because we just came to a point in our life where we were like, we're both just not happy. We're both just not happy. And he was like, should we do anything about it? And I was like, you know what? I don't think so because I just... I don't think you're my person. And he was like, I don't think you're my person. And I was like, cool. And it was just like an adult conversation that we just thought we don't need to like try any harder. We don't need to justify to anybody why we're not trying or anything like that. It was just, we both had different paths to walk down. And I suppose if we didn't split up, I probably wouldn't be here right now. So that's a positive, but yeah, it was a really beautiful adult conversation, which I think everybody can do. But I think there's just lots of pressures around marriage and trying to make it work. But if you're not happy, then like, why would you be in a relationship? How did you have the guts to do that though? Like, I think a lot of people are probably sitting in relationships right now where they're thinking, oh, I'm not sure. And when they're not sure, they begin to doubt themselves and they're like, well, is this just a phase that I'm in now? Maybe I'm not happy because of a million different reasons. How can I know that I'm unhappy because my relationship isn't right? How did you have that sense of resolve and sense of self to think, no, this isn't for me and I need to get out of this marriage for my, I guess, freedom and to explore the world? Yeah. I mean, it didn't happen overnight. Let me tell you that. Like it was a few months in the making and you can sort of, I feel like towards the end of relationships you can sort of start to feel those like little niggles happen and you're just like oh this isn't like flowing the way that it used to it's like you either have that conversation you work it out or you have the conversation and be like should we break up and we had that conversation because we wanted to break up I think we were both just in the right headspace and it just it took me a lot of courage to be like well shit I'm not happy like are we on the same page I'm gonna like kick myself if you're not but thankfully he was and I just think it does take a lot of courage. And I always revert back to, you know, mum and her saying, you know, life is too short. Like, why would I want to waste my time? Why would I want to waste the other person's time? Everyone deserves happiness. And if I wasn't happy, then that person is probably certainly not happy either. So I think it's just like ripping off a bandaid, just have the conversation. What's, what is the worst that will happen? (laughs) How was the conversations that you had with people after that? Like, did you feel like there was much judgment? Were you worried about judgment? What did all of that look like? Shit, yeah, there was so much judgment. We lost so many friends. I lost so many friends because when you're a couple, you do couple things with other couples. And we lost so many friends because people just didn't understand it. They were like, no, you fight for your marriage. And I was like, no, not everybody's like that. So I think we changed the narrative in that respect. But the conversations post us separating were just like, this is weird. We don't get it. This is such a mutual sort of thing. And yeah, I mean, there was lots of judgment because people just didn't understand. And I suppose people didn't realize like how to have the conversation with this post breakup as well too. How do you then deal with a change of identity? I imagine 
when you're growing up and we do so much growing in our 20s to enter our 20s in like really rigid or like stable relationship with a partner to be married to be someone's wife is a big identity change to then get divorced and find yourself single it was like 28 weren't you when you became single yeah yeah how did you rank with that new identity it was so weird it was so bizarre because all my friends had done all those like fun early 20s things like go and be a little like horror for a couple of years and just go and party and I never did any of that so For me, it was like, I'm going to do that. And I had no shame in doing that. I was like, I'm going to go and live my best life. If I want to go and sleep with who I want to sleep with, I'm going to fucking well do it. I just, I did hit some pretty like intense lows during that time within that party scene. But I think that sort of shaped me to where I am right now, which I think is really beautiful. But yeah, I just, I partied a lot and I just lived my life and did all those things that all my friends did you know, in their early 20s. But yeah, it was like I was just reborn again. I just became this extroverted human. And it was just like, everyone's like, what is going on? Like, you're so different. And I was like, no, you know, maybe I'm just living my life, which is, yeah, I think it was really nice. It was good. I mean, you've just touched on the party scene then. And I feel like people who have been following you maybe this year would potentially be a little bit surprised that Alira, the very spiritual, you know, person that I follow on Instagram was really heavily into a party scene. What were those party days like? Oh my God, the party days were so intense looking back on them where I think I just fell into the wrong group of mates that it was just like, oh, whatever, like we'll go and party on the weekend. But it wasn't just like partying on a Saturday night. It was like, we were going on benders for like Friday, Saturday, and it was just like kick-ons from Friday night leading into Saturday night. And it was just the drugs came into that sort of, you know, scene as well too. And that was a new thing for me. And I think because I have such an addictive personality, I just like fell into this spiral of just like, I'm going to like go on drugs every week. and like, who cares? I'm just living my best life. And it just got to a point where I remember it was literally like 12 months ago. I had probably like a hundred bucks in my bank account, no savings, no nothing. And I just remember sitting there being like, what the fuck are you doing with your life? Oh my God. And I had to make a massive, massive change. Otherwise I knew I was just going to end up in, you know, a grave or in a hospital or whatever it may be. But the party scenes are pretty intense if people have no idea what they're walking into I think and if they're around the wrong sort of human beings but yeah I guess new followers on Instagram like oh my god she's so spiritual and wholesome it's like oh my god no I am far from that (laughs) how do you pull yourself out of that I imagine it'd be incredibly daunting to look at your bank account and think I have almost nothing I have a group of friends that are not healthy for me How do you kind of push everything aside and be like, I'm starting my life with a blank slate? Because what you have done in the last 12 months is nothing short of incredible. Mm. I just remember thinking if I don't stop right here right now, I'm going to have nothing in five years time. I'm going to have nothing to talk about apart from just being an absolute dickhead in the Geelong party scene. And I thought, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that person anymore. I just, I want to live my life but in a really thoughtful and beautiful way rather than just going on benders. But it wasn't until the end of last year, start of this year, that I went on like the ultimate four-day bender that it was like on the last day. 
I literally just woke up and I was like, why are you doing this? You literally have nothing. Get it together, girlfriend. And from then on, I just sort of switched that mentality. I was like, all right, let's go sober. Let's change your relationship with alcohol. My family was super supportive. They knew that I was like heavily into that scene, but they let me sort of do my thing until I fucked up, which I loved because there's nothing worse than, you know, your dad being like, come on, get out of it. Cause then you just want to react. Whereas they all knew that I was, you know, deep in this scene, that they just let me do my thing until I learned my lesson. And I did. And then I went sober and I changed my relationship with alcohol and just went deep diving into this spiritual sort of world and everything really just opened up. So if I didn't change what I changed, then I would not be here right now. That's for sure. At the start of the year when you did make that decision and you thought, you know what, I'm going to lean very heavily into spirituality, which has been sort of an on and off but ongoing thread throughout my life, what did you find when you started to dig into that spirituality? Yeah, I found this sense of like calmness. I almost felt like I'd already been here before. I was like, okay, this feels nice. Like I'm just going to sit with this and see how this rolls. And from then on, that's when everything really just opened up in terms of like, I guess when you are an intuitive and you are spiritual, you'll get downloads what are called messages for people. And I was starting to experience a lot and I was just deep diving and I was doing all that work. But yeah, it was like, it just, it felt good. It felt like, yeah, I found my my niche. I found my little place in this world. And yeah, it was just fucking awesome, to say the least. And it still is. Alira, this year you learned that while you've always loved women in an admiration sense, your love actually goes deeper than that and you're romantically attracted to women too. Talk to us about realising that fact. I mean, I think you've realised it a little bit later in life than some other people perhaps. Yeah, I think it was just that like going back and being like, what do I actually like? Am I drawn to a gender specifically or am I drawn to energy? And I think this year was like that year I was able to navigate being like, okay, you really like love men, but you're actually really attracted to women. So just go with it. So um, this year I was like, okay, I'm coming out as whatever you want to label it as by whatever. But for me, it's just, it's all about energy. And if I'm attracted to an energy, then I'm going to be like swooping on in. So I think that's like pretty special. I think it's a generational thing as well that our generation has really shirked labels. We don't feel the need for them. We're happy to just fall in love with a person based on that person's energy and who they are, exactly what you touched on then. How was that received by the people around you though? Was anyone confused or was it kind of like, cool, all right, easy, let's all move on with our lives? Yeah, everyone was super chill. I think I've just grown up with families who just didn't give a shit about who you liked, what you did, whatever, as long as you were happy. So I think family friends, they were like, yeah, whatever, you do you, as long as you're like super happy and comfortable and, you know, it's, yeah, you're safe and whatnot, then that's all that we care about. So I think I'm really lucky in that respect. I think a lot of my friends maybe got dealt, you know, some pretty hard cards growing up, coming out in that community. But I think for me, I've had it pretty good. Everyone's been really, really accepting. I mean, you're always going to have friends who are just like, 
don't even acknowledge it too, which I think maybe that's just like that uncomfortable conversation, but everyone's been like super chill, which is really good. That's what you want. You have been through heartbreak with both men and women across your life. And I want to know, what have you learned from heartbreak? Like what has heartbreak shown you about yourself? Oh my gosh. It's shown me so much, so much. And I think I... Like heartbreak is terrible. I say that to everyone. I'm like, it is, yeah, anxious, like, uh, yuck, you just don't eat for days. But I think the thing that I'm learning and learned is just this is all a part of life and it's all about growth. And maybe that person isn't the right person for you and that's okay. But maybe you've learned something from that relationship. So therefore that can almost prepare you for maybe the soulmate or the next person. So I think what I have learned is it's just all lessons, it's all growth, it's all a part of life and it's just all about us levelling the fuck up. So it's, yeah, it can be seen as a positive. (laughs) Do you ever feel like, I feel like in your line of work, obviously you're constantly bolstering other women up, but if you've gone through a heartbreak yourself or if you're going through something, do you ever feel internal pressure to be like, you need to work through this, you need to be there for other people or do you really just let yourself feel whatever you want to feel? Oh my gosh. Yes. hundred percent. I've like internalized. I've done that before where I've just internalized so much. And I'm like, you've just got to get through it. Like you've got to help all these other people that you're like, you know, the clients and things like that. Um, but I've just come to realize that, you know, it's, there's no shame around being vulnerable. There's no shame in just being like, okay, I'm actually not doing that great. Like I need to fill my cup before I fill my client's cup. So yeah, 100%. I feel like a lot of people in the coaching and like healing space would be the exact same, like just internalize it and deal with it later. But yeah, we have to just be vulnerable. (laughs) You see women every single day who are likely struggling with their self-worth and their sense of self and their confidence and I guess particularly their sense of direction. Why do you think so many women feel lost in particular? Yeah, it's so, I never realized that there were so many women in the same boat, no matter their size, where they come from, whatever they're doing in their world, they always are just looking for this sense of belonging or sense of just something. I don't know. And I do feel like society puts women in a box that we have to think, do, say in a certain way, which I always challenge that norm and say to a lot of my clients, no, you don't have to do that you are your own person. And I do think social media plays a really big part in that as well too, that women think they have to look a certain way. And I'm just like, no, you don't. You are you and that's so enough. And people are like, well, should I get off social media? And I'm like, no, unfollow people that make you unhappy at the end of the day. Follow people that are just going to like make you feel really good about yourself. Yeah, I think social media and society, it's just like, why do we get this in our head as women to think we have to look a certain way? Mm. You wrote on Instagram recently, understand that there's space in this world for you to do whatever you want to do. So do not compare your ideas, business, hopes, or dreams to anybody else. How did you personally stop that cycle of comparison? Because I think it's one that every single woman listening to this right now would have gone on a journey with and would struggle with at some point. Yeah, I I think because I hit that ultimate low that I thought I had to, you know, be something that I wasn't and I was hanging around the wrong people. And it wasn't until I started just to be like, okay, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to be like a spiritual being, but I want to do this and that. I sort of just had to be like, you need to come into this and just think who gives a shit 
what you do, don't compare. And that's what I just, I had to do. I had to just switch that mindset for me. And that's what I say to women. I'm just like, just chill the fuck out. Just do you. Why do we have to compare ourselves? So it was very much a mindset thing for me to be like, nah, just don't worry about what anyone else is doing. And I say that to my clients all the time. I'm like, imagine if all of us women were on the exact same journey trying to get to that end goal. How congested would that be? And, you know, that's why we are all different creatures and different beings and doing different things. Like, that's what makes us unique. We're all just on our own little path and journey, and that's so okay. For the people listening to this who perhaps wouldn't consider themselves very spiritual, like understand the concepts of spirituality, actually potentially want to tap into it themselves but don't know where to start, where would you tell them to start? That is such a good question. I do get that often. It is... I feel as though because I'm a meditation teacher as well too, I'm always like meditation is going to help you. Once you find that sense of presence and calmness, that's when you're able to intuitively tap in. And I think people get intuition mixed up. They think intuition is linked to spirituality. And I'm like, no, 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 hang on a second. Intuition, we all have it. We can use our intuition to help us guide us in life, but we can use our intuition to tap in with that spiritual woo-woo stuff. So I think that's where people have to differentiate the two and be like, okay, I want to tap into my intuition. That can be about trusting what I'm feeling, seeing and wanting to do. That can guide you a little bit because I think people are like, oh, like you're a witch. And I'm like, yeah, I may be a witch, but I'm also using my intuition to help me make decisions in my life because it's all about trusting as well too. Do you think spirituality is more important now than ever? I mean, life is so fast-paced, people are so busy all the time, particularly now that we're hopefully returning to more normality after the pandemic or learning to live with the pandemic rather. Do you think being able to slow down and kind of tap into ourselves is more important now than ever? I think so. I I've always joked about this year. I'm like, Karuna is the year that everyone had to become woke. Everyone had to become awake to everything that's happening. And I think, yeah, why not? I feel like everyone wants to have a sense of belonging, whether that's with spirituality, religion, whatever it may be. So I 100% think yes, but you don't have to do the extreme of what I'm doing. It can just be for you just to be present in being mindful in doing something as well too, which I think is really important. Just, yeah, I think people just have this closed perception of that spiritual world, that it can do so much more. I've just been thinking that as you've been speaking, that I feel like spirituality in some ways needs like a bit of an overhaul in terms of its branding or its PR, right? Because I think some people immediately discount this sense of spirituality because they think it is very woo-woo and invisible and they don't know what it looks like. But hearing you talk about your relationship with your intuition and your spirituality makes me think that a huge part of spirituality is actually learning to love and like yourself, right, as, as a foundation point. It's all about that self-love and it's all about you. I just feel like it's all about us being like really present as well too in our world and just like once we are present, it's almost like everything will start to open up for us because we are so go, go, go. And I mean, if this year hasn't taught us anything, what to slow down, then I don't know what will. But 100%, yeah, you don't have to be the woo-woo witch. It can just be as simple as exactly what you said, slowing down, just like listening. Mm. This year, you made the decision to become your own boss and to quit your nine to five. You're taking on your passions full time now. 
what do you want out of life? What do you want out of your career? And I guess what's your purpose with what you're doing? Oh, I love that. I, yeah, woohoo, me quitting my day job for corporate for five years. My gosh. I think for me, it's just being where I am right now, but making sure that I always, number one, have community at the forefront in terms of my Aboriginal community, making sure that my business always has that business model of, you know, catering for community. I just, I don't know, I'm really content with what I'm doing at the moment. If I'm doing this for another five to 10 years, then that's so okay. But I just feel like I'm really was put in a position this year where I've walked into the wellness space doing what I'm doing and I really want to just keep changing that narrative and being like let's switch up this whitewashed space like let's get some black representation in here and I'm just like if I can keep doing that I'll be super content so I will never future think but I'm always just like whatever happens happens so I'm pretty content at the moment. What do you think needs to change the most in the wellness space? I know you just said it's quite whitewashed, but I also think that the wellness space has a lot of stuff that needs to kind of be tweaked a little bit and fixed, right? Mm. What do you personally want to go in and do and kind of revamp? I would love to just, I mean, the wellness space is so big. This is like a billion dollar industry. It's as simple as why don't we have black models in certain spaces within the wellness space? Why don't we have cultural awareness through these spaces as well too? Why am I as a black person walking into a yoga studio with no cultural awareness by the teachers or the business itself? I just remember walking into my first yoga class as the only black person being like, why are all these middle-aged white women doing this? Do they understand the origins of yoga? Do they understand why they're doing this? And I think that was that light bulb moment to be like, all right, let's come in here, let's change this, let's just suggest things to brands and work with certain businesses. And that's what I've been able to do behind the scenes in terms of trying to change that narrative. But I think because the wellness space isn't just this one thing, it's so, it's massive, we have the opportunity to go in and change it as best as we can. But if we can see more black representation in certain spaces, imagine the young girls below us that are going to just be like, oh, like that's pretty normal to see a black woman up there because I don't remember seeing any representation apart from Kathy Freeman. That was it. So I think that's really important in that respect. How have you gone with Instagram as well this year? I mean, your following has just bloomed since the beginning of 2020. You are hugely influential in that space Do you feel nervous about your Instagram following sometimes or the amount of power you have on there? Or has it been a really great change in your life and a really awesome part of your career? I did get nervous at one point when it just kept the following count, just kept getting up because I was like, I need to make sure that I'm like being the same person that I am in person as what I am on social media. And all my friends say that I am, so that's beautiful. I think I just had to make sure that my platform is there for me to have my voice amplified, but make sure that I'm utilizing it in a really generous way, but a really conscious way as well too, because there's so many platforms out there that just, they just, I don't know, I question a lot of the influences. And I guess I'm just really lucky because I've walked into this space a little bit, you know, deer in the headlights. So I've been able to just be a conscious change maker in that respect on Instagram and on social media. Alira, we ask the same question to end every interview and I am really intrigued as to what you're going to say. But with all of this in mind, how do you define success in your own life? I feel like I'm doing it right now. 
I feel like I'm successful. I'm so content. I've got money in my bank account. I don't know what more I could want to do or achieve. I think this is success for me. Like I'm here. And before I'm 30, you know, I think that's really special. Alira, you are incredible. I, for one, feel very calm. I feel like you have such a calming, gorgeous presence. And we are so, so grateful that you spent this last little less than an hour with us. We feel incredibly privileged that you chose to come on our podcast. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So excited. (laughs) Thank you, Alira. Thank you so much for listening to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with Alira Potter. If you're wanting more from Alira, just go follow her on Instagram at alira.potter. If you enjoyed this chat, we also recommend you listen to our other In Conversation apps with Ray Johnston and Jules Von Hepp. We'll pop links to both of those chats in our show notes, but you can also find our full back catalogue of In Conversation chats on our website at shamelessthepodcast.com. As for us, the best way to support our show is to click follow if you're listening on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts or just recommend this podcast to a friend. Thanks so much, guys. We'll be back in your ears next week. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.